Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I am your favorite co-host, Amy Bird. Um, just an ordinary gal, a thinker. And I'm here with Carl Truman, who uh, teaches people to think over at Grove City College. And we are missing our third co-host today, um, the Reverend Todd Pruitt. He is at the PCA General Assembly meeting for 2019. And you know, that got me thinking, Carl. Um, we had a General Assembly for the OPC. We're both in the OPC. And just a couple of weeks ago, I think, the OPC General Assembly was held. And on social media, I am noticing all kinds of drama surrounding the Southern Baptist Convention's meeting um, that just took place, I think, last week. And, and the PCA's General Assembly, which is going on right now. and uh, didn't notice hardly a thing. <laughs> hardly a. Th- I did notice that there was a nice photo of all of the elders that attended the OPCGA. <laughs> they were actually all able to fit on a staircase <laughs> together. <laughs> was it a big staircase, like the Spanish Steps in Rome? A fairly or? large staircase. I was able to pick out my pastor. <laughs> a little dot, but I was able to find him. Yeah, yeah. We played a little game on our Facebook uh, New Hope OPC page. <laughs> and you find our pastor in this picture. But, yeah, so curiously, there, there wasn't much said about the OPCGA. Well, that, that's surprising given how uh, uh, efficient and addicted to social media most OPC pastors are. I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, Amy, I don't think I can name a single OPC pastor with an Instagram account. I wouldn't know how to set one up. Um, I, I, I genuinely don't think social media is, is part, of, part of our culture in the way that, let's say, accordions are. Um, <laughs> no, uh, seriously, I think the, the OPC culture, despite our, in some sense, cantankerous and litigious reputation outside (laughs) the OPC, actually the denomination has been relatively peaceful for many years now. I mean, the biggest controversy of recent years we had was over republication. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really a big controversy. It was was sorted out fairly peacefully. Every Uh, now and then you see something boil up about that again. Yeah, but we don't have, generally speaking, a lot of angst in our ranks at the moment. I've never been to the assembly. I didn't actually realize our assembly had happened this year until it had happened. Because somebody uh, said to me, uh, are you going to the General Assembly? And I said, one, I took a Nazarite vow about a decade ago, never to go to our General Assembly. Uh, and two, I think it's happening this summer. And they said, well, actually, it was last week or something. I said, oh, okay, yes, well, I, I missed it entirely. So, yeah, if you want to live... Uh, under the radar or off the grid, as we say back in the UK, the OPC is the denomination for you. Yeah, not so for our friends in the Southern Baptist Convention and in the PCA, however. There oh, has been no. all kinds of fire, on, especially on Twitter. Um, I know your favorite venue for social media 
You are a very intelligent medium. Lots of nuance. I particularly like Twitter from that perspective. I mean, all kinds of fire. Uh, Big topics are sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, like sexual abuse cover-up was a big thing. Um, Women in leadership was really boiling up because Beth Moore um, apparently preached a Mother's Day sermon. And that caused... Mother's Day. um, So the first thing an OPC person thinks is, what is a Mother's Day sermon? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's like more troubling, I think. Um, You know, I had to back it up when I heard that because everybody was really upset about this. And I'm thinking, what's a Mother's Day sermon? Presumably, it's just a Lord's Day sermon that happens to occur on the day that the secular society has denominated as Mother's Day. I mean, I think this is a sermon dedicated to Mother's Day. Oh, oh. All mothers or? It was about Mother's Day, I guess. I don't know. Um, So that that got a lot of social media attention um, because, I mean, she's probably one of the most influential women in evangelicalism, I would say, Beth Moore. And um, so this whole topic of women in leadership, but also she has come out as a sexual abuse victim and is advocating for uh, more to be done in the Southern Baptist Convention. So there was a lot, a lot of um, talk about that. And then um, social justice, there was a resolution about critical race theory um, in the Southern Baptist Convention, which uh, tried to make, make maybe people come together a little more, but it, you know, of course made people more upset in some ways. And then there was a resolution on sexuality and personal identity to address the whole revoice um, conference stuff, which the PCA is also um, addressing this week in, yeah. in their general assembly. So, um, wow, there's just a whole lot going on, but something I, I really noticed in all of these social media interactions is um, something I find interesting and, and raised a lot of questions for me. And even as I saw like the sponsors of like the PCA GA, um, I thought, oh, these are sponsored events too, just like any other like parachurch event would be. Mm. And then you see like, there are the seminaries and the, and the publishers and um, coalitions. And you think, well, this is where you see a lot of these figures coming in who are very like the celebrity pastor figures and the, and the parachurch organizations. You know, what, what function do they have? in these denominational meetings. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just fascinated by the responses there. I'm thinking, you know, uh, PCA probably sponsored by Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> OPC sponsored by, I don't know, Kmart or something like that. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, the idea of sponsors is fascinating. Um, yeah. I have to say, on the Southern Baptist Convention, first of all, just a general comment, it strikes me as, as ecclesiologically incoherent to have a Southern Baptist Convention. You know, either you're a Congregationalist or you're not. Uh, the SBC seems to function, broadly speaking, like uh, a sort of a, a general assembly. Yeah. And yet your ecclesiology doesn't allow for that. So I, I'm always left wondering why the big deal about the SBC? You know, mm-hmm. if, if, it, if it has power, then you're not congregationalists. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't have power, then why do you get so worked up about what it says? It right. seems you, you can't say that it's of no denominational 
ecclesiological significance on one level and give it great denominational ecclesiological significance on another. It's having your cake and eating it. Well, and it yeah, raises a question too about, okay, so the Southern Baptist Convention is a fellowship of over 47,000 churches. Yeah. And so when they come up with resolutions yeah. at, at their meeting, what kind of power, what kind of governmental function does a resolution have? Yeah, yeah, because presumably your church isn't going off the rails and isn't going to, to self-destruct if Beth Moore is appointed president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I, uh, that strikes me as, as odd, the passions that, that revolve around something that, strictly speaking, is mm-hmm. of no ecclesiological significance whatsoever by the account of your own ecclesiology. Right. And I also, though, have questions about, even within the OPC and the um, PCA, um, and maybe you can clear this up for me better. Um, what function the resolutions have governmentally in their me- meetings as well? Well, I think primarily a, a lot of what GAs are meant to do is sort out procedural matters relative to the lower level courts, uh, appeals, things like that. It gets interesting when we have these uh, committee reports on particular issues. Mm-hmm. And by and large, they, they function as, 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 as almost the equivalent of pious advice. A committee report is not adding to the confession. It's mm-hmm. clarifying, if you like, uh, a teaching in the confession or something like that. Or I could imagine a situation where uh, a church like the RPCNA, for example, has commissioned a number of reports on, on, on human sexuality that don't become formal constitutional confessional documents, but mm-hmm. uh, are designed to pool the collective wisdom of the church on an issue that, that many individual pastors are perhaps wrestling with, how to think about theologically, biblically, pastorally. So general assemblies generate what, what one might call sort of official pious advice on a lot of mm-hmm. things. But we can do that because we acknowledge the existence of the church as a coherent mm-hmm. ecclesiological ecclesiastical body at a higher level and perplexed as to to why the southern baptists sort of want to be presbyterians when it suits them but congregationalists most of the time Um, (laughs) that's just thrown out there where we please send all your hate mail to todd pruitt (laughs) Uh, and i wonder what kind of power the different influential figures within the southern baptist convention have i mean and, and you see them turning on each other even on social media you know, to the point of, I mean, this week, Jerry Falwell Jr. is like blasting Russell Moore on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. And then, you know, earlier he accused uh, Russell Moore of being a part of a deep state regime within the oh, convention. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow, that's interesting. Uh, you know, these are some powerful figures, you know, major Texas Southern Baptist preachers, um, you know, getting in on it as well. And, you know, they have the big churches, so... Yeah. It does seem that the Southern Baptist Convention, even more than the PCA, is is vulnerable to the rise of the big and the powerful personalities and factions coalescing around those personalities. Another issue, though, that, that, that touches on, Amy, that you've raised there is, and I think this is, is a kind of cultural thing, mm-hmm. one of the things that the OPC doesn't have, I mean, there are many things that it doesn't have that maybe it should have. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, one thing that it doesn't have that I'm glad it doesn't have is a culture of factions and behind-the-scenes canvassing. Okay. Uh, the debates, the discussions generally take place within the formally constituted courts of the church. Mm-hmm. We don't have these great battles on social media 
trying to win people over to position A or position B or position C prior to the meeting of the of the yeah, church. There courts. seems to be a lot of lobbyists groups yeah, going on. Yeah, and you even got that in the PCA. I mean, you have mm-hmm. the uh, what is it the the National Partnership or something. It's this mm. group of the sort of the more progressives. And then you have the, I think it's the Gospel Reformation Network on the mm-hmm. other side. And, you know, of the two groups, I'm more sympathetic to the aims of the Gospel Reformation Network, but I don't like the partisan spirit that those groups, as, as mm-hmm. well-intentioned as they can be, can often foster, that, yeah. that creates... Uh, unnecessary and sometimes quite unpleasant rivalries and and factional battles within the church. Which is interesting because, you know, yeah, it can cause these like kind of partisan spirits, but then you notice that they even bring in speakers that are outside of the PCA for a general assembly event. Yeah. And uh, they're partisan in that. I don't know. It's just all, you know. At that point, you get the sort of the intrusion of big Eva world, the big evangelical forces at play start to come to, to shape uh, who's in and who's out or, mm-hmm. or, or who you're backing in the denomination. Yeah. So, it, you know, all these tribes that form then, even in a general assembly, is really interesting. And then how that will influence, I guess, the resolutions. Yeah, I mean, and could well do. I mean, you see that where, where certain resolutions that may not be partisan in themselves, but could become uh, mm-hmm. a point of, of partisan division. I remember many years ago now, the, the General Assembly, I think it was, was it 2006, 2007, the General Assembly where the, the federal vision was being debated at the PCA General Assembly. I'd gone down to speak at a pre-GA conference for RTS, I think. It was an RTS organized conference. And sitting uh, in, uh, in the hotel bar late that night with, with a bunch of friends of mine from the, from the PCA who represented various different approaches. And, and one, of the, one of the guys I was chatting to was very much on the sort of progressive wing. Didn't like the kind of theonomic tendencies of the of the federal vision was very disturbed by that but was still going to vote on the side of the federal vision because he felt it would strike a blow against strict confessionalism that his his issues were not federal vision issues he opposed the federal vision in terms of its theology political but in terms yeah in terms of what a vote in favor of the federal vision would do to the bounds of confessional subscription that was his his issue, and that was a fascinating to me to hear him him sort of explaining that. I think, well, that's a that's a very very pragmatic move, but is a reminder that that votes don't always go down along principled lines. Sometimes there are much bigger games in play at uh, general assemblies on these things. Oh, that's that's concerning to hear. Um, you know, and and even within what's going on now, you know, something that you were saying how. Let's say revoice is a big um, topic right now and how to talk about sexuality issues and identity issues. And, um, and it's right that both the Southern Baptist Convention and, and the PCA, which kind of the first revoice conference was hosted at a PCA church, um, to address this issue. And it's so divided now. Um, yeah, it's such yeah. a divisive issue, which is sad. I, I, you yeah. know, I was hoping to see better dialogue 
um, between, and I think, you know, both sides are guilty of that, but yeah. um, to this- see how the parachurch is playing into that as well. I mean, I know uh, Denny Burke had a huge post celebrating after the Southern Baptist convention that they took on the language of the Nashville statement in their resolution. And um, yeah, his post was all about how it's the same language as the Nashville statement. And yeah, so yeah. CBMW is leading the way and yeah. talking about sexuality. Um, yeah, and I think, well, you know, I don't really want CBMW to lead the way on anything personally. I think their their flip-flop on the Trinity leaves them considerably discredited. Uh, and the Nashville statement has become a kind of way of trying to rehabilitate themselves, essentially, in the public eye. Uh, I, I think the the problem with, with the, the matters of sexuality and, and in some ways domestic abuse that are popping up um, mm-hmm is I, I do think these issues are basically covered in the confessional standards we have. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Westminster Standards positive teaching on marriage clearly excludes gay marriage. The Westminster Standards positive teaching on manhood and womanhood, for want of a better term, you know, positively excludes some of the radical excesses. Uh, Westminster uh, Standards teaching on how to treat other people in its exposition of the Ten Commandments clearly excludes domestic abuse. The problem when you start to adopt things like the the Nashville Statement or pass resolutions on sexual matters or or domestic abuse matters is the good that they do is only really reiterating, I think, what's implicit or implied by the standards anyway. A much better way of going about it uh, it would be to have something like what the RPCNA have done, and that's to produce a properly well-thought-out report, Mm -hmm. some motion that we approve, we disagree, or or whatever, but actually allows for the fine tuning and the the clear parsing of the issues. You know, the, the gay lesbian stuff to me there are two distinct issues there one there's the question of the the political cultural moral significance of homosexuality Mm -hmm. Uh, two there is the the pastoral approach that has to be adopted in dealing with that individual who walks into your office as a pastor and says to you this is my issue this is what i'm struggling with and i think it's hard to to address both it's hard to separate and address both for want of a better word, the broader issue and mm-hmm. the pastoral issue without going into some considerable and careful detail. And that's why I like the RPCNA stuff because mm-hmm. it's firm and clear, but it also addresses the pastoral, the pastoral stuff. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a sledgehammer or it's not a silver, you know, let's find the single silver bullet. Right. So my, my big concern on, as I say, on domestic abuse, Gaze of Nashville statement, etc., is that you could potentially force polarizations on those issues that need not happen if you could actually find something that addresses both the the objective, cultural, moral issue, and also the matter of pastoral strategy relative to individuals experiencing domestic abuse, inflicting domestic abuse, uh, experiencing a same-sex attraction, uh, etc. Right, because I mean, it is important, I think, to to look at scripture, to look at our confessions, and to be able to take that into our culture now and say, here are the challenges our culture is facing now, secularly, here are some struggles that Christians are having in the church. How can we better um, articulate where our faith comes in here and, and how we are to lead better in these areas? 
Um, and, and that is a very pastoral thing, yeah. too. I also think it's a, it's an issue that, you know, when, particularly when you're addressing younger people on, on this, uh, they often, they see what the Bible teaches, but they're concerned that it's hateful in the way it's applied, et cetera, mm-hmm. which right. means that we have to stand firm, but also address their concerns. You know, the, the kids yes. in Egypt Grove yes. City, many of them, they have gay friends, mm-hmm. they, they, they agree with the Bible's teaching, but it's a struggle for them to hold it because they see uh, somehow how these things can work out in, in rather blunt and unnuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we need to, to be persuasive to the younger generation in how we maintain basic standards of biblical morality. Yeah, and that's going to take more than like nine resolutions. It's hard like. to do in a resolution. It's hard to do in a motion. I think it's something that needs to be done in a study report. As I say, those, those study reports done by the RPCNA, I think they're pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. because they really do attempt to, to grapple in depth with the manifold issues that, uh, that human, the issues about human sexuality now raise in the modern mind. So the OPC, are, are we doing a good thing then by just <laughs> – should everybody just join us? To paraphrase Father Ted, the OPC, great bunch of lads. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, of course, we're as sinful as anybody else. Uh, right. I think you know, every denomination has its problems. Our problem is not caucusing and, and lobbying online. That, that's mm-hmm. great. You know, we, we cannot be immune from mm-hmm. the abuse stuff that's been going on. Mm-mm, not at all. And I mean, we really need to, I think each denomination and um, even the local church like the sessions and local churches need to consider like what kind of influence parachurch organizations have on the congregants and on the leaders and uh, how to use them, how to use them well, the resources yeah. well, but also, um, you know, I think really starting to talk a little bit more about where discipleship actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, is in the church. I think the one thing to do is, is you know, be wary when a parachurch is consciously attempting to influence your mm-hmm. denominational decisions. I mean, let's face it, we're, we're on a podcast hosted by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. It's mm-hmm. a parachurch organization. We're parachurch. Yeah. yeah. But one thing we don't do on this program is tell you how to vote in General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I've told you, don't go to General Assembly. I never go. <laughs> <laughs> so. so <laughs> No, we, we, I, I think there's a difference between a parachurch that is attempting to, to get people thinking about stuff, throwing out ideas, uh, recommending good reading, and a parachurch that is consciously lobbying to get its documents adopted mm-hmm. by certain denominations. There's a big difference there. You know, there's a difference in the Alliance and CBMW. We're not, we're not going to produce a mortification of spin statement on anything and recommend <laughs> that you adopt it at your general assembly or your convention. Um, we're just not going to do that. A, we don't have the ability and B, we don't have the desire. Right. So right. that's something I think that every Christian should be aware of. You know, use parachurches as tools to help you think about Christian things. Mm-hmm. But remember that your membership lies in the local church. Your mm-hmm. commitment is to the local church. And you know, the most influential Christian in your life outside of your immediate family should be your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in an ideal world, it should be the pastor and it should be what you're hearing from the pulpit on a Sunday that is most decisively shaping you, that you are putting most weight on yeah. in your personal Christian discipleship. 
Well, and that's a trend, and I know it's with men as well, but I've really seen this with in the women's ministries too. Um, women actually thinking that they're discipled by someone who is just in a parachurch organization or uh, their favorite author or their favorite uh, celebrity um, evangelical. And that's where they go to for discipleship. And I think that's something that leaders in the church really need to think about um, that might be a blind spot um, in, in how they're discipling the, the men and the women in their church, because a lot of times they just look outside of the church if they don't feel they're being invested in, yeah. in the church. Yeah. I, I, I quoted this a number of times, but some years ago in class, when I was teaching at Westminster, I asked students, you know, who's been the most influential preacher in your life? Mm-hmm. And pretty much everybody gave a, a big name pastor. Now, yeah. to be fair, some of the students came from churches. You know, there was a student there who went to John Piper's church. So it okay. seems to be perfectly legitimate for that person <laughs> to say, hey, John Piper's been the biggest preaching influence in my life. But what shocked me was that how few mentioned their local pastor, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way. Uh, yeah. You know, I knew the names of the pastors they were telling me not because I'm exceptionally well-connected in, in Presbyterian circles, but because it was Tim Keller, it was John Piper. And again, not a criticism of Tim Keller or John Piper right. in saying that. Uh, it, yeah. you know, they're putting resources out there. It's how they're being used uh, that can be the problem, I think. Right. I would think that Tim Keller and John Piper would want you know, people that, whom they've influenced, they would want them to say something about their, their local pastor, their real oh, yeah. pastor, uh, I, not I, them. I, Without a doubt, I would say that would be the case. Uh, nobody said Todd Pruitt, by the way. Nobody uh, said Todd. And I'm pretty sure there were people there who would have been in his church. But on one hand, I suppose we can be thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, you know, he's probably got his boxing gloves on right now, you know. Oh, he's going to be spit. Whatever yeah, happens manly, at the PCA. masculine man at the PCA, yeah. GA. Uh, I watched Todd move, you know, into the, the Presbyterianism when it was, you know, heaven on earth. And then slowly but surely, he's, he's moved into a more realistic phase. The honeymoon is over. <laughs> he'll come back spitting, I'm sure. So. Well, and, you know, uh, before we close, um, and the reason why we don't have Todd on today, one of the questions that I get asked the most about MOS is how, how do you guys record? Uh, people yeah. want to know, are you guys together? Are you guys doing it remotely? Um, how often? And, um, We're together in spirit. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, as much as we can, we get together. And physically, we'll do a whole day, a whole batch. And we're doing that next week. But we still needed one more. So uh, Carl and I came to the rescue today. Um, so you guys could have a new episode before we get together. So while we have Todd in a couple days, we're all going to be here in Frederick. Um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of good fire from him. Oh, it's going to be funny. We have to think of some, we have to find a few moves for the PCAGA that we know he won't approve of uh, <laughs> in order to sort of say, Dang, we'll I think that was a good development. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to do that. We'll have to do some digging, which just requires going on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'd like to thank you all for being with us today. Our giveaway. 
Uh, we're going to be giving away some books by our old friend, Daryl Hart. No, Daryl, we know you probably don't listen and you probably despise everything that we stand for, even though you've been on the show once. But we're going to give away uh, a, a number of copies of your book, Between the Times, which I think is a, it's vintage Daryl. So it's very, he's coming from all kinds of expectedly unexpected angles on things, but it's a, it's a set of reflections, thoughtful reflections on aspects of OPC history. It's not a straight narrative history. It's really a critical reflection on strands, trends, etc. within OPC history. So if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you have a chance uh, of entering there to win a free copy of one of Daryl's books. Uh, while you're there, please do notice that we have a donation button. We're a listener-supported podcast. So if the spirit leads or if you're so disillusioned with the Southern Baptist Convention and the PCA, you want to give all that money to a worthwhile cause, uh, please give it to uh, Mortification of Spin. In the meantime, we await the return of Todd as he gets back from pursuing his solo career at the PCA General Assembly, and he will be with us next time. Farewell. Out of the ruins Out from the wreckage Can't make a sign to stay this time to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Brother Buffaloes, we will open the convention with our traditional ceremony, cutting the convention cake. Boy, we got good seats, Barney. Yes, sir, the very first row.